This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Hey, welcome to Podcasting and Platforms. My name is Chris Spangle. It is great to be with you. We are live on all of our social media platforms from Facebook to Twitter to LinkedIn to YouTube. Facebook, excuse me, Podcasting and Platforms has all of those different platforms. Make sure you follow us there. We are so glad that you are here with us today. I am first, I'm going to ask you to leave a question. So if you've got a question, please leave it in the comments. If you're watching this video right now, you can also send us a message on the website at podcastingandplatforms.com and we can answer it again in a live video in the future. I am going to be talking with my friend, Sean Grady, who is the host of the Environmental Transformation Podcast. I'm going to be answering some of his questions along with yours. He's going to teach me a little bit about LinkedIn. He's very good at LinkedIn. I don't really use it at all. And uh, we'll be talking about what he ha- what it's been like working with me. I don't know that many of you know that I actually do podcast consulting. And Sean is one of my clients. Let's start with introducing Sean and get the conversation rolling. Again, if you're just tuning in, please leave a comment in the comments and we'll answer your question for you. Sean Grady, the handsome mustache man from here in Indiana. I don't remember. You were actually, you're my second. Nate Lelly over at Indiana Inside In Construction. I'm botching it. I'll have to edit that so I don't offend Nate. But Nate, Nate was actually my first client and you were my second. And why did you decide to get into podcasting? You came to me around episode 30 Tell us what your show was about and why you started the podcast. Yeah. Hey, thanks, Chris. Thanks for having me on your show today. I have been in the environmental industry now for pretty much my entire career. It's a little almost 30 years doing environmental work. So I started out as a regulator for eight years. And then and then I went to consulting in 2002. 2002. And so I've been in consulting the entire time. I've just created a, and developed a huge network of people in this industry. And I kept seeing a void where in the podcast arena, there wasn't an environmental industry podcast, like a good general industry podcast that covered all the various uh, environmental topics of the day from ESG to climate change to PFAS to regulatory updates to contractors and technology and things like that. It was like we really wanted to cover the topics of the day that are meaningful for the industry and people to learn what's going on and to really try to highlight who's making an impact in the business, right? Who are the movers and shakers 
and what should you be doing and learning about? So that's what I wanted to do. I had been wanting to do a podcast for about three years. COVID hit and I had some time on my hands, right? And I finally was like, wow, I'm at home. I wanted to find, I wanted to do this podcast. It was, it was like satisfying and creating that creative itch I had to can do something fun and have a creative outlet. And that's why I started it. And I, ironically, I was going to go play golf one afternoon in where in my town, I live in Crawfordsville, Indiana, and a kid was coming off going to get in his car and I was going to go play. And he looked at me and he goes, Hey, are you Olivia's dad? And I looked at him and I was like, yeah, (laughs) who are you again? And I looked at him and he goes, I went to school with her. And then I started realizing, okay. He goes, I said, what are you doing? He says, I'm getting ready to go to school at IU and I'm working at the Andy Moore Toyota. And, uh, and I also have a podcast I have. And I go, you do? And he said, yeah. And I said, will you help me get one started? So that's the, that's how I got started in June of 2020. And I started it and we spent about a month just preparing and getting the groundwork laid and everything. And then I reached out to a few contacts in the industry and I said, Hey, I'd like to do an interview. Would you like to come on board? I didn't tell them I'd never did a podcast before. And so (laughs) we did the interview and it was the first one and, and it went off just great. And then it was like, okay, I'm off to the races. This was fun. So let's get started. And then, Chris, as you mentioned, I got a hold of you about a couple of 20 or so episodes in or so. And I said, I need to step it up a little. I need more guidance. I need more learn. I need a mentoring, basically. It was totally new. And I didn't, this is all new for me. So that's what I reached out to you. Your name came yeah. up in the contact. It's about the same time as Nate. Nate, I almost said in construction influencers, which is the correct title for Nate's podcast, by the way. But then I psyched myself out, so my apologies to Nate. Um, always one of one of my biggest fans and supporters, and you two are near and dear to my heart, and still get the entry level price because I didn't think that I could do podcast consulting. I didn't think anybody would actually like pay me to help them with their podcast. And so it was just a thrill for me to get to work with you guys. And you took me seriously. So I definitely had like imposter syndrome going on in my head, too. And when we started that process, which is always, I think, some you probably work through it with your podcast, too, where you're like, "Uh, I don't know. Why should anybody listen to me about environmental transformation? Meanwhile, you've done this for what, like 30, 20 years in, in your industry? Yeah, I've been, like I said, in the industry for almost 30 years now, a little over 30 years, really, at this point. And uh, I've touched so many different aspects of the uh, the industry as far as doing either work in either water or remediation or compliance or digital technologies. So it's just when you have so much understanding of how the business works and what is important, I wanted to communicate to the listeners, hey, this is what's out there to check out. Um, this is why it's important. And for me, as I became more familiar with how to do a podcast, I started out with the mindset of, I want to have an outline of questions that I want to ask my guest and I want to give them that outline. And so he knows, or they know what I'm going to ask. So they're somewhat prepared. So they're not just running blind and I'm not running blind. I thought that was because I felt it was more meaningful that I had a direct kind of like agenda so to speak yeah and it's a good idea when you start out to script as much as you can 
I wouldn't write out every word you're going to say unless you're doing like some sort of like scripted podcast, but you're doing an interview. It's a really good idea if you've never done interviews to sketch out what that conversation is going to look like. Right. Yeah. And that helped get things rolling. And then I was in the thinking, okay, now I've got the podcast going. How do I get it published? What do I need to do to set it up? And what platform should I use? And do I need a website? And all those questions came to mind and put me in a position of unfamiliar territory. I'd never put out a a website before and I never really signed up to do all those things. So I was really struggling at first to figure out how to get that going. And, uh, And then I really realized after a few episodes that I needed help. And Dave Neff, a mutual friend of ours, is the one who connected me to you. And I oh, reached okay. out. Yeah. If you remember that. And Dave said, Hey, I met this guy at the Bob and Tom show. I think we might be good contact for you once you connect up with Chris. So I reached out to you and we struck up a good conversation. And quickly, you were able to help me transform my podcast to, to another level. For listeners who are struggling to understand the ins and outs of podcasting and what it takes, Chris is able to break it down real easy for you in ways that you're like, oh, wow, I didn't realize I could do that. This is a better platform to use than what I, I was doing Zoom calls, right? That's how I was doing all my interviews. And that's no, there's no problem with doing Zoom calls to do your interviews, but it was limiting my ability to do post-production at a way that now I can do more effectively. You brought it to me. You said, Sean, you should try StreamYard. You're using StreamYard. I was like, yeah, you use, I use it. That sounds great. (laughs) And I learned, I'm a visual learner. And if you show me once, I'll get it real pretty quick. Sometimes I certainly can read things too and figure things out, but it's really great when you have someone help coach you up through it. And that was the, the help, you know, that really helped me. Would you able to do that for me? Yeah, I appreciate that. It's been fun working with you. You, there are some clients where, like with you, where you just need my consulting. You just need my help, and we hop on a call, and maybe I do things in Photoshop to tweak your StreamYard for you, or we answer questions like, "What well, will answer?" You're just buying like the hour, right? There's some people that I do all of their podcasts for them. Like they they just send me the file, they do the interview, and then I publish all the rest, all the video editing, audio editing. And then there's some organizations like I actually just did a training session for the Indiana Historical Society. And I went and taught their staff over a couple afternoons how to do podcasting. So there's a wide range. I'm actually working on an idea right now. I don't I've never wanted to do a course, Sean, because I don't I've never finished a course. (laughs) And I just assume that other people don't finish. And I'm not like so I'm working on a different idea, maybe a cohort idea where people can get it get together in a community and we all work together on, on various things. So that's what I do. I appreciate the plug, Sean. It's, it's been a lot of fun working with you and seeing the growth of your podcast, the environmental transformation podcast. You had an older website and then we updated that you had limited graphics. Yeah. I think the graphics, I'll pull up your website here. We put you on pod, what pod page. And then your daughter actually helped do all the graphics in Canva for you, which produce all that. And I see you every time I log on to LinkedIn and it, you're always top of my feed there. It always looks good. You, how many episodes in are you now? 70, 70, 70 episodes. episodes. Yeah. yeah. I didn't realize you'd been doing it since 2020. Yeah. Yeah. 70 episodes, which is, 
It's about probably around 25 to almost 30 a year. Quite depends. Um, we're just getting, we're in the spring of this year. So it's running around 25 episodes. I try to do two to three episodes a month. And most of your listeners may look, I'm a one man show on this podcast. Just to be honest right. with you. So I don't have a big team behind me that I can do post-production or lots of marketing support. I have someone running my Instagram feeds or whatever. I don't have that. So it's, if I had a, that type of level of support and resources, I feel like we would start to really take a whole nother level of step at some point. But for right now, we're just taking it one day at a time, one episode at a time, growing the content, bringing in fantastic guests. We've had some really sharp guests. I've had a couple of guests that I've brought back as a previous, like a repeat guest, because it was like, hey, let's get an update on that information that was previously discussed. Yeah, I use you as an example all the time. I don't mean to offend you, Sean, but I think if you went and you looked at the titles of your episodes, most normies outside of your industry might not quite understand, all right, what's ESG, what's this, what's that? You're you're really focusing on your industry and people who understand the language you're using and understand the topics. And what you've done well is using this as a way to gain influence in your industry that's niche down and use it as business development. And your company, I think, has seen the value of the podcast. I think that's one thing that most people start a pot. It's always was on the top of my mind at the last decade that I've been a Bob and Tom, oh man, if I'm doing this podcast, am I going to do something that upsets my employer? Am I going to get in trouble? But eventually I think they see the value of having somebody in the industry that can be an influencer. When, like you said, there may be like two or three other podcasts, if that serving that entire community. Can you talk about the benefit to your business that you've seen doing this podcast? Great question. Yeah. So one is I've got a perfect example. I interviewed uh, two of them. I'll tell you two of them. One of them is that I interviewed a technology company that is a water data management technology company. I'm on LinkedIn a lot and I'm seeing what's going on in the industry, a news feed for me, social wise. Right. And I saw something that was really interesting. So I reached out to that person. I said, Hey, I'd really like to talk to you about your technology. Would you like to come on the show and talk about your work. And the company is called Divirod. And Divirod is a startup that's starting to really get going in the industry. And they have a great technology that they use to capture water levels. And so it's like a notification warning system. Hey, I'm getting ready to flood, things like that. Divining rod. I get it. Yeah, in a way. So So I did the interview. Ironically, the former CFO of our company, who now manages our venture group, our ventures investment group, as, as, as our company, said, hey, Sean, I'd really like to, like to have a conversation with Javier, who's the CFO or CEO of that company. I share, let's make a con- let's make a connection. Our company just turned around and invested in this company to be a strategic partner to us as a company so we can go and market our digital technologies in partnership together. And that was like a tangential, like direct connection of what happened with my podcast and my connections there to now it's translated into a benefit and a partnership with the company that I work for in my day job. So yeah. that was a great story. And then recently I've had a situation where I've been asked to come and do live interviews 
for a national brownfield conference in August for. I love this idea. This is you're the first person that I've seen do this. Although I'm sure other people do it, but using a podcast set at a conference as your booth as opposed to putting the eight-foot table out in front, standing there watching people walk by, stare at you, you're setting up a podcast studio and doing interviews at, at the, the conference. actual conference. It becomes an attraction. Yes. And uh, Nate actually went and did that and got five or six, seven episodes for his podcast out of that, and it was a big hit. So I actually took the knowledge that you gave me and, and have spread it to other clients, too. I think that is such a great idea. Can you talk about what experience you've had doing that? One of them, I did a live interview at Ball State University. And I went there and interviewed their student body, not the entire student body, but I interviewed their green building architect students to talk about their projects that they are working on to drive sustainability and in reducing emissions and water and all the aspects of energy efficiency in a home that they're building from an architecture perspective. And so I got to talk to them about their projects and we got to do a live feed interview on that. That was one great interview that we had that I thought was great. And the, the students loved it. They thought it was great. And the professor, he's a local professor there at Ball State, Dan Overby is his name. He's also the sustainability lead for Browning Day, who's the architect for a local architect firm here in Indianapolis. So great connections there. I've also pitched the, the, the interview sessions for a conference a while back. And I know, Chris, you and I talked about this. And at the end of the day, their budgets, they were like, hey, look, we just can't afford to have you come. I was going to take a couple of days off work to go do this as my own little thing. And anyways, it just didn't work out. But now I've got my own company coming to me saying, hey, we want you to go do these podcasts and interviews with these clients and get some traction on what's going on in the industry. So they want to take shorts, content content that we produce and make them thought leadership pieces so that we can promote it as a business in our business to our clients that, hey, this is what we're doing with our clients. These are the projects and the problems we're solving as partners with our clients to help them make the locations that we're living in a much better place to live. So that's some of the things that we're working on right now. And I see that going to be growing over time. Yeah. I think the podcast as business development angle is, it just can't be understated because it's really hard to get an hour on somebody's lunch calendar. But if you use their vanity to come and talk about themselves and their projects on your podcast, you create a relationship. There's Nate. He's watching on LinkedIn. Nate, you're welcome for the shout out. Sorry for mangling your podcast name at the beginning. We'll have Nate on very soon. I'll reach out to him next. All right. So this is a Q&A show. We've been Q&Aing here about your podcast, but what problem do you have? To, let's talk about LinkedIn first, because we we're talking about this as we we're doing pre pre-show warmups here. Yep. I don't use LinkedIn that much. I know it's one of those things where it's like, I should probably post this. I don't really get much traction there. I'm not really a business minded. Like I've always been in, I work for Bob and Tom and do podcasting and, and politics. Like it's not the right network, but you were telling me that you've been taking the video that you've been using and creating shorts and getting really good frequency. You had a question about it, but why don't you tee it up before we talk about the question that you've got? Yeah. So for the listeners, each podcast that I do and I record, I'll do the audio for an actual podcast that you listen to on your phone. And then I also have the video. 
And so I released both of them when I simultaneously released the podcast. So I have a YouTube channel and I have the podcast. So what I do to tease up listeners to come and find my podcast and or the YouTube channel, I'll go and I'll take a minute, I'll cut a minute short segment out of a juicy segment out of the interview, something that's like impactful. Like, oh, wow, that was a great question. And this is an awesome answer that I got out of it. I tease up the listeners or the followers on social media, especially LinkedIn, so they can see the content. And we're generating anywhere, depending on the type of post it is, but I've got some posts that have 11,000 impressions that someone was scrolling and stopped and watched that video, 11,000 plus people. Or on average, I generate probably 1,500 to 3,000 impressions per post just on that video short. And uh, it's driving a lot of content. And, you know, what's really interesting is that due to COVID, we haven't as a society been getting out and mingling and connecting with your network of people that you maybe have seen or, or normally would for a long time. Most podcast casters, you really don't know who your complete audience is or what they think because it's almost like you put it out in the in the cloud, in the ethernet, and you don't know. But lately, I've been doing a couple in-person visits here with Blaze, and you're getting feedback. They're like, oh man, I saw you on LinkedIn. I really liked your video. I really liked your podcast. And what they're telling me is they're probably not really listening to my podcast, but they're watching my video content and know that I'm leading industry thought leadership every time they see that podcast video and they go, yeah, that's cool, Sean. Yeah, I think this is a really I think people tend to worry about their download numbers and you'd be surprised at how low numbers, what low numbers most down, what podcast. Excuse me. What numbers podcasts normally get in terms of downloads? It really can be some of those extra tentacles like you're talking about that can really spread your reach. Like I had a couple thousand listens on an episode about Social Security. I think it was like 1500. And then it I posted three one minute clips on the various social networks and I got probably 20,000 views. So it just amplified it. It took it because people will look at it and go, look, I just don't have time to listen to your 35 minute podcast about social security, but I'll give you a 20 second view to get the meat of what this guy's talking about. And the other thing that I noticed on when I do exactly what you're talking about, I see people commenting that I know would never listen to my podcast. Like people that work in LA, they're hardcore Democrats. They're not going to listen to a libertarian podcast, but they're consuming the content going, wow, I've never thought about that. Now, why don't I do more of it? Because why does a janitor have a messy house and a cook never eat at home? Because at the end of the day of making reels and TikTok, it's just like, all right, I'm just tired and I don't want to do my own because I can skip it. Bob and Tom, we've been making reels and really date diving into making short clips and captioning them. And in February, we had 4.8 million views on TikTok alone. It's driven up, I think, 10, 20% our views on YouTube, YouTube shorts. Like, really, it if in my mind, if you're looking at it and you're going, all right, I've got a podcast. Should I do video? The answer is probably yes, for exactly what you and I are both talking about here. 
I should I have an email list and a website and social media and do live events and all that? The answer is yes, but you're not going to be able to if you're a one man band. So if you're going to add one thing, add on video editing, add on sub one minute videos. The sweet spot for all of these is about 15 seconds. Brian Nichols of the Brian Nichols show started doing YouTube shorts and he's getting two, three, four thousand views on these shorts and they're all 10 to 15 seconds real pithy i have seen it's and basically the reason is that all of these platforms incentivize that short form video what if you don't do video for your podcast barstool sports was his a billion dollar business because he talked into the front facing camera like literally get on there and just start with hey this week on the chris spangle show we're talking to sean grady about esg scores tune in right now on this platform And just by getting into the habit of doing it, you're naturally going to want to evolve your product and learn that tool a little bit better. Don't tell me you don't have time to pick up your cell phone, talk into the front facing camera for 15 seconds and then post it because you do. There's just, you know, if you you post the link, you're not going to get any reach. If you just post the link, you may get some of the photo. I think you've done well with that, but yeah, I mean, you, you're giving a great test case for why video, I think, can be very helpful with podcasting. Yeah, it is. And I think that uh, video shorts, ironically, I was uh, on vacation about a month ago, and I was out playing golf with a random stranger popped in and said, I'll pick you up and play with you. He worked for uh, YouTube and uh, <laughs> Google, right? Because Google owns YouTube. So he's working. He goes, yeah, man, the video shorts is where everything's driving on YouTube right now. Yeah. Oh, okay. Good to know. So there, the, it is the, it is the main thing that's happening. I would, I still need to do better like video editing. I am not doing a good enough job personally. What are I'm you like, editing? What are you editing in? Like literally like Microsoft video editor. It's whatever the editor is on my laptop or something. Movie maker. That's what I started in. Yeah, so it's okay, but I need to do something a little more because I can't sometimes get the granularity of the splice just right. I want it to be it's like it'll skip an extra second or so over. And I just want to, I want something more robust and something I can add a little more to it. Maybe even add a Let- little background music behind it too to kind of like tease it and zap it a little more, something like that. Yeah, so I use, if anybody has a recommendation for a good free video editor like he's talking about, please send me a note, Chris, at podcastingandplatforms.com because I don't know of one and I'm looking for recommendation. There's Audacity for audio, but I don't know what the video version of that. I use Premiere. I really like Premiere. I don't mind paying 50, my work pays the $50 a month for the Premiere software, but I would pay for it if I didn't have that. Like I think having Photoshop, Illustrator, Audition for audio editing, Premiere for video editing, Premiere Rush, you may be able to use Premiere Rush for free, Adobe. It's all the Adobe products are just outstanding and I love those and that's what I use, that's what I edit in. And you can, your skill level is never ending, right? There's no level that like, the guy that I work with is an amazing video editor and he's always learning something about Premiere. There's always another tool or tactic. With Movie Maker, you're like stuck. But like in my mind, what you're using it for to just cut up a minute of your video that you've recorded in StreamYard, it already, the reason you use StreamYard is because you've already got these graphics. You don't have to go in and add that stuff. If you're using 
Zoom, you'd have to download the separate files, create a project, put them all in. You've already got the scroll at the bottom, the logo on the top, your sponsor, the it's already yeah. framed right. So there's the, the basics are there and you can just do what you've done, which is just use the free thing to, to cut it up. Um, but you ask about frequency. I would just ask you like in terms of frequency on how often, like we're doing one a day where I work, I think two a day would work three a day would probably be max, but not everybody like you at a one man shop has the content or the time to do one to three a day. And as long as you're consistent, like how many should you post a week? Seven, five, right? But if one yeah. is what you can do, then do one. If you can do two, great. But make it every Thursday at 3 p.m. This thing is going to be scheduled out in post. It's like that regular. Just mentioned as far as scheduling. I'm starting to see a huge trend in my social feeds. Because I follow other podcasts podcast out there too. There's ESG podcast. And so that's environmental sustainability, right? For people who don't know what ESG is, it's a sustainability podcast or there's safety podcast. All they want to do is talk about safety. safety. I love safety, but I don't think I could do that every episode, right? <laughs> All um, right. So, don't do so, that. All right. Next episode. Right. Yeah. So I like them, but anyways, they're all posting on Tuesdays. So every Tuesday morning, on LinkedIn, you I start seeing like all of the podcasts that I also post up. I'm almost starting to get FOMO because when if I don't have a podcast on a Tuesday to post, I'm like, dang, those guys just had a post. Darn, I got yeah. I missed it. Out. But I do Tuesdays to do my podcast post. Then on Thursday, I'll post the minute clip. And arguably, I could do a Wednesday right after that, do a minute clip, or I could even do the Tuesday afternoon after I posted I, the main. I, I could. No, yeah. I think Thursday is good because the algo on your original post has run out. Yeah. So you're not stepping on anything. Yeah. You, Thursday is like a good reminder. So yeah. I, I, it's working for you. I wouldn't change it if it's working. So that's what I've been doing. And uh, now, when I do cut the ed- the edited video. If I can, if when I have the time, I'll try to do two two different little segments. That, so I have two of them in the hopper. So right when I do the recording, I'll go right to looking for that juicy minute segment, and I'll I'll cut two of them. So I've got two pieces of content I can push out. And if I don't do that, what's really cool about it, Chris, is some weeks you don't have content, you don't have an interview you're pushing. But you got tons of content that I could push out from a previous episode. Oh, hey, in this episode, I did. This. Who cares if it was last year? It's really still relevant, and yeah. I can post it out. And then people, I have a huge back. Episode. Yeah, I have a huge backlog of content. I've got like seven hundred episodes, and I'm posting four times a month right now. I'm getting way more downloads because people are going back and listening to those back content, which just helps feed the advertising revenue that I'm given and other downloads. Before we move on to the final question, Nate has a question for you. Yeah. Does Sean have guests pay to be on his podcast? No, I don't have guests pay me at this point. <laughs> Salesman brain. Yeah. Now I would like to I would like to charge. However, I do have sponsors. And I've got some fantastic loyal sponsors that have been with me from the start. They'll support me. And so I'm the one I'm, I'm promoting their product in, during the episode. So 
Now, one of the questions I had for you, though, Chris, was this was like a couple. There was two that I wanted to follow up real quickly on. Hey, what about Patreon type level of support? Right. Yeah. I'd like to consider because I don't have this yet. Start promoting. Hey, if you want to support me in this podcasting venture that I'm embarking on, sign up. and We'd love to have you sponsor me on the show because this does take time, effort, money and resources to do these jobs to do this podcast well. So I haven't set that up and I wanted to know kind of like, how's your success been? If I think you're doing that as well, what's that been Mm -hmm. like? So that was one of my questions. Let's stop there. Let's stop there and answer that. It is crazy because when I set Patreon up in 2017, we had $1,000 a month added in a week because I had resisted for a few years adding it. And I, at year five of the podcast in 2017, added Patreon and got pretty successful. We were up to 2000 a month. Now we're down to 12, 1300 a month. A lot of that is just my own inconsistency, my own kind of not constantly promoting, <laughs> hey, join, you know, sponsors. Yeah. Me. I'll be honest, like the uh, political analysis, I had to step aside and just say, what do I believe still? <laughs> I'm about to re enter the world. <laughs> yeah, I am a libertarian through COVID and the elections and all that at Jan 6. I'm just like, I got to figure some things out. So I've done a lot of interviews, which has changed the tone of the show from what it was. People still generously support the We Are Libertarians podcast network, the Chris Spangle show, me, the bulk of my revenue for, from that venture comes from Patreon. And I have a very altruistic audience. They appreciate hearing my opinions. They appreciate the community that we've built over a decade they want to support libertarian content creators, the broad spectrum of that. And with an altruistic and Patreon kind of broke this down for me and said, listen, there's some audiences that are highly transactional. Uh, if you set up a Patreon, I'm not going to join unless you give me a magnet or I need something for my subscription or whatever. And I think because I never really promised a lot, I started with an altruistic audience and still have that. And I'm very fortunate in that I set up the merch and nobody wanted the merch. like, <laughs> And the merch yeah. through Patreon, I'll be honest, the merch through Patreon did not work. It cost me a lot of money. It, it was subpar. I wouldn't recommend using them for merch, to be honest, but I do platform overall and it's worked well for me over these past five years. But you really have to determine, I think, if your audience is going to be altruistic, they get so much value out of your show that they're willing to give you five, ten, a hundred dollars a month. Our friend Jacques Adele here, he is a hundred dollar a month contributor to We Are Libertarians and the Chris Spangle Show because he just gets so much value out of it. It's hard to set. I've got another podcast on Patreon and we set the tiers high like that, and people don't stay at that tier. Once they get their merch, they drop down because it's a little bit more of a transactional audience. I would say that if you have a lot of conversation with your audience about your show. That's probably a good sign that existing community will fund it. We started the show in 2012. A year later, Joe Ruiz asked me at a team meeting, when can we start making money off of this? And I said, when people start asking to give us money because they appreciate what we do. And that started about a year later and people started donating equipment off of a wish list, all that kind of stuff. They wanted to see the growth of the brand. 
So I would say that it's probably going to be a more transactional audience if you set it up or you're not going to do very well with it if you don't have a community built in. Monetization on podcasting comes from community. Yes, having a lot of downloads and a big audience will help. But if you have a big audience and you have a lot of downloads, that means you've built a community. So you really have to focus on building the community around your show before you can start building a Patreon and monetization that is based on community. So I I don't know where you're at. I don't think I'm there yet based on where you're those parameters. I don't believe I'm you there have. Yet. Yeah, you have a benefit that I don't have, which is you have a captive niche audience and the people within your space that don't know where to take their advertising dollars because Facebook isn't working for them anymore can look at you and go, wow, I can pay you half of a half of what I pay Facebook a month and I get better conversations with leads. I'm a little envious. You may look at my Patreon and be envious of that, but I look at your ability to get sponsors for your niche and go, I wish I had that because it's honestly more lucrative on a month-to-month basis. It's harder to sustain. I've My family has benefited greatly. My wife can stay home and not work because of Patreon. Because yeah. of that income that we have. But our advertising has been so hit or miss. you know. So if you can really leverage these relationships with guests and at these conferences and say, Hey, here's not only are you going to get X number of downloads per episode, you're also going to get X number of impressions on LinkedIn, X number of impressions on YouTube. And you add all that together. And now all of a sudden you've gone from, let's say your download numbers are 300 an episode plus 10,000 impressions on LinkedIn plus 200 on YouTube. That's that's how the conversation goes with the sponsors. Exactly. They'll say, Sean, can you give me an idea? What's your, how many downloads do you get? What's the impact of sponsorship? So I'll go and say, okay, let me, I'll break it down for you. I've got 300 downloads this month on this episode. I've got 10,000 impressions on these posts for LinkedIn. Yeah. Getting you, you got hot links to every major podcast promotion that the, the, a viewer sees the post, they can click your link and it takes you right to your website. There's, it's also embedded in the, uh, the the actual podcast that you listen on your phone too. So there's lots of great ways to get traction. Plus the sponsors get to create their ads that I read on the show. They get to tell their own story. Like I get to read it for them and put it in there and embed it. One of the questions I had for you is that, do you ever stop an interview in the middle of a guest interview and actually do a cutaway live ad for a sponsor because my YouTube videos don't have any sponsorship promotion. They're just the interview. See what I'm saying? Yeah. So I don't really have sponsors in the same way that you do. I have transactional ads turned on. So I go through megaphone, which is the Spotify ad network. You're on anchor. We're own. We're basically working for the same company. And so I have enough downloads per month to justify getting into megaphone and having basically like Google ads turned on my podcast. So I, I will, I'm not very good about stopping in the middle of it. What I have started doing is this type of podcast recorded, downloading the video, throwing it into Descript, which is another video option for video editing, by the way, that I might 
it's not free, but it's really good. You edit via transcript. And so if you're using something like StreamYard, you've already got your graphics in it. Now you're just going to go in and cut off the ends. And it has this magical button that removes filler words. I removed six minutes of ums and uhs from an interview that I did last week. See, that so a lot. that does happen a lot. You, you don't, yeah. you don't realize it when you're in the middle of doing it, but when you like, play back, so you go, oh, geez. yeah. And this magic button takes care of it. And then I use that for my audio and my video. My ad revenue is all pre-roll right now. And then I will occasionally remember to go, hey, we should do a break right here. When we do the panel show, I always remember because we're going along and I have to go to the bathroom. But if I'm just doing a 30 minute interview, I don't stop and do a break. I am actually about to tweak my format. So right now I just do what we did with this, which is, hey, welcome to podcasting and platforms. Thanks so much for joining us. And then either live mixing. You're listening to the We Are Libertarians podcast network. Off of my Rode Podcaster Pro or editing thing, it. By the way. <laughs> yes, it's a beautiful device. We, Many are saying have, it is the podcaster best. Podcaster needs one of those, in my opinion. Yeah. So I, I live mix, and so it's all in the video, and it's all right there. Uh, that comes from my radio background. Some people like post production because they like to have that greater control. I'm just a live look. This content's going to live f- for less time than we all think it will a wash and a sea of other content. Don't worry about the perfection. But I am about to start, I think, doing what I do for a radio show. I do a radio show where I interview nonprofits. I do the interview. And then at the end, I do my intro. So I learned this from Leo Laporte. The pat down, we always do the intro at the very end because then we know what we talked about. Uh, And so I've thought about doing a quick little thing because I'm not doing well at thanking my patrons and there are too many episodes without thanking my patrons but i don't want to make you the guest sit through that hanging up on the guest and then recording that and then mixing that in and it just is going to add more post-production work which i don't know but it's worth it to me to thank the patrons who actually like make this worthwhile right so i don't know if that answers your question there's always trade-offs to it so the more stop sets or production or whatever you add the more time it's going to add and then you go wow this is taking a lot of time should i really be doing am i getting benefit out of this to me i like to do everything live to tape with minimal editing i think if you allow yourself to edit yourself too much then you get comfortable and then also now with AI, you have abilities to not go back and you can n- maybe not listen to every minute of your show and edit out every, you can click a button and it'll do it for you. So I think if you just are wise about the tools, aren't a perfectionist and live mix, it can make that a little bit smoother. So I, I, agree, with that. I agree. What about Chris? I've never really done like, podcast that's just me speaking my mind or my thoughts on a topic i've always had a guest i've always interviewed somebody i'll we i'll weave in my perspective yeah my personality into the conversation but i haven't really done my own like solo guest not no just my solo podcast rant whatever you want to call it update whatever and what's the what do you see the trade-off or the value of doing something like that or or how difficult that is is that to carry the conversation with just you 
It's easier than you think. I used to be terrified of monologues, even though I came from talk radio and work in talk radio, and the majority of my 18-year career has been in radio. There's something about the vulnerability of monologuing, and there's something about the vulnerability of, like, TikTok videos that I really get hung up on. But I really decided I never did a lot of interviews, too. My podcast, remember, was always just a panel of people talking or a group of friends sitting around talking, which I still think is the superior way to do a show that people gravitate more towards. But as my co-hosts got busy, as I got busy, it became harder to get together. Look, every Thursday night at 7 p.m. we're recording. It just got really tough to do that somewhere in 2019 with a kid and the co-hosts having kids and all that. So it had it forced me to change up and test things out. So I had to start doing interviews. One of the reasons I do the nonprofit shows to do interviews to yeah. force myself to try and listen. If you can make this nonprofit and this person who is an executive director that maybe isn't all that interesting, tell a good story, then you might be a good interviewer. So it's me forcing myself out of my comfort zone on that. And I've gotten a lot more comfortable with interviews. I haven't done a lot of monologues. I have tested it out and I have found that it is a lot easier than I had built up in my own head. Same with stand-up comedy. It was no different than giving a speech, which I'm very comfortable doing. And now I'm at this point where the trade-off for the Chris Spangle show was that it was always a panel. And then it became panels and interviews. And then it became panels and interviews and monologues. So the trade-off is that lack of consistent tone matters to your listeners. So people pick a podcast like they pick a genre of music. So you can get away with, if your monologue is conversational, like you're talking with a friend, then it works. If you're, sometimes it helps to have a producer. You could even make up a fake producer. I don't think people would even recognize that. But people having a, two people having a conversation or four people having a conversation, the tone of friends is different than the tone of two professionals talking. Yeah. But I'm now at a point, I think the thing that kind of hurt my numbers was not the change in tone. It was that I went from almost a decade of telling people my opinion and people showing up to hear my opinion to now doing interviews where like you, I'm barely mixing in my opinion and not really giving it. That is what I've actually identified that, that kind of made my numbers drop over the last couple of years. They're like, I'm it's good information, but I'm here for you. I could just go read that guy's article. Why talk about the article? So that now forces me into the choice of doing monologues or continuing on the course that has seen atrophying numbers. And it's scary, Sean, to go, man, now I got a monologue on a subject for 30 minutes and I've got to read a book to be an authority on this thing. Right. And I, I overthink it. And then once I just sit down and do it, I get really good feedback because people are tuning in to hear my opinion. So I think for you, you now have to decide, do people care about Sean Grady's opinion or do they care about learning from influencers in the industry? Right? So you have to think really clearly about what is your selling feature to your audience and what are they tuning in for? I think for you, you can do a monologue and it will work with your audience as long as they're getting the same value proposition out of that. So if I'm tuning into you to hear a tip or trick about how to grow my business, or I'm then 
It doesn't matter if it comes from an interview or a monologue. I don't know if you thought that granularly about your proposition of what you're actually offering your audience, what your value is, but as long as the value matches, then I think the tone can change and your audience won't really change that much in terms of numbers. Yeah, yeah. I think I'm going to consider, I've been thinking about it, is doing the shorts, the monologue shorts, 15, 20, 30 second takes, hot takes of what's going on that I want to hit on and then just put it out and see how that, let's see how it goes. Because I think it could be pretty good. Now, I did have a question about TikTok. I'm not on TikTok. Should I be on TikTok? Does my content speak to people on TikTok? Curious to think it maybe doesn't, but I don't know. Maybe it does. Yes. TikTok is everything right now. It's the only platform that gives you organic growth. I was a card-carrying anti-TikToker and for three years, four years, maybe even they at work were saying we need to be on TikTok. And I was like, no, what are we going to do? Dance videos. And now we're getting million, three million views on our, uh, on some of our stuff. Like the mother's day video that we just posted at half a million views on TikTok and a few thousand on YouTube, which is our best channel other than TikTok. It's really weird. Now, the thing about TikTok is that it gives you organic growth. So you have the ability to reach deep down into a niche and find people that are searching for that thing that you've hashtagged. Hashtags are really important with it. Is your audience going to be on TikTok? Probably. If you're talking about sustainability and ESG, it's like your podcast, right? Like a special right. kind of person is going to the Apple podcast and searching for podcasts about not just sustainability and green issue, like broad conversations, like maybe the NPR podcast. I forget what that one is called that kind of covers the world of, right? Like you're much more kind of niche down. You'll be able to find those people that you're looking for on TikTok, but you cannot post the 16 by nine video of what you see right here in this, which is 16 by nine It's got to be nine by 16 and the face. Now, what you can do is if you were to use Premiere, there is something called Big Room TV, Big Room TV that I was using to auto convert things. So you could try that out. I do it all in Premiere. They have a new button, a new effect that in the video effects and then go to transform and it will auto transform your video from 16 by 9 to 9 by 16 pick the face so if i've used it with this particular setup that's why we're not like this on this if i want to pull something from tiktok then we're like this so now and normally i even will sometimes turn off that logo because that logo might actually affect up in that up above your head but that tiktok Format is really important. 70% of your screen needs to be face. Your first three seconds are how people decide if they're going to continue watching. They send your video to a test audience for 10 seconds. And then they determine in that 10 minutes if your video got enough three-second views to feed it to people or not. And then they also factor in how long people watched it. Did they share it? Did they comment? Did they save it? Did they like it? Did they follow you? And they take every signal 
and they go, this is killer content. Everybody needs to see this or go look at the Bob and Tom TikTok. There's one that had like 50 views the other day. And then it's right next to one that had 130,000, right there. Yeah. there There's just, it is algo to the core. But if you get really good at TikTok, you can take those videos and use them for YouTube shorts for Instagram reels for LinkedIn yeah. for yeah. Facebook reels. Do not download the TikTok video and put it on other platforms because that little bouncing thing that you see on TikTok, the other platforms will penalize you for that. So you need to make your reel in something like Premiere and then upload it individually to every platform. And if you use their tools, I caption in Premiere. I do captioning in Premiere. But if you use their captioning or if you I always on every platform on the first three seconds of the video, right? Craziest video we've ever posted and have that up there for three seconds, right? So if you go to Bob and Tom's TikTok, you'll see those little white captions that are there for three to five seconds because that's going to tell people you want to watch this keep it really short that's more powerful than 30 seconds or whatever how long is their tiktoks 10 minutes 90 seconds for instagram and facebook reels and then 60 seconds for youtube shorts but 15 seconds is your best bet have nothing on the end no end card go listen to our podcast here the other thing about TikTok is like, people get them confused in the beginning, so they rewatch it. Get the end really short to get them to rewatch it. The more times they rewatch it and whines, the better it does. Uh, yeah, I think it, there's a fine art to it, but I wouldn't go on TikTok and post your 16 by 9 video. It wouldn't be worth your time. But then yeah, again, yeah. now you've got to look at it and go, okay, I can use the organic reach here, but is it worth my time to sit there and fuss with the video and spend an hour. I spend two to three hours a day making these TikToks and posting yeah, right. them on the platforms yeah, and using their native tools. That's where you get that bandwidth concern, right? You've got other priorities and things. So you can only do so much. And uh, but uh, AI is coming though. It, like bigroom.tv, AI is going to be a big help with this kind of stuff. So go check that out. But we need to start wrapping up. But yeah, go ahead and finish. I was going to say, Chris, thanks for for the listeners. If you're looking for a podcast coach. Call, he's great. He'll really get you lined out, set up. He's helped me immensely. I'm still growing. I'm still learning. I'm still having so much fun. The Environmental Transformation Podcast has grown in the past two and a half years. Like I said, we're 70 episodes in. We've got a nice catalog of people that we've interviewed. One thing is interesting as a podcaster that we don't talk about is you've always got to be prospecting for your next guest. You always need to be looking for who do I want to bring on to the show to have more, to have good content, right? Unless you're going to be monologuing, you need to keep looking for those guests. As you get more episodes in, you'll start to find that there's podcast booking agents that will start reaching out to you and say, hey, I got this person that would you like to interview them? Ironically, I've had some really good options, a pretty good success with somebody's bringing somebody to me and I, yeah, sure, I'll interview them. And they're great. Sometimes they're not quite on mark with my brand so to speak of what i want to really but i'll take a i'll take a chance on it and it works sometimes it's not so great but it's been good and i think that's one thing you always got to be looking and keeping your prospecting going because that's one aspect of the podcasting process that people maybe underestimate 
All right, Sean Grady. You can find him at SeanKGrady.com. I'll put the link in there so you know how to spell Sean and Grady and all that. I accidentally wrote in Sean K. Mick Grady earlier, so I don't know. I'm having a long day. So you can find the links to all of his stuff. Thanks so much for your time, Sean. Thank you, Chris. Appreciate your time. And thank you, listener. We really appreciate you spending some time with us. We hope that you found this valuable. Please, the best thing you can do for a podcaster like Sean or myself is to tell your friends about us. Share this on social media. Send it to a friend. Just like Dave Neff did with Sean. He said, hey, you got to check this guy out. That helps us out immensely. That is the best way to get a podcast to grow is the people that already love your show. Spread the word. Thanks so much for joining us. We will see you again here on Podcasting and Platforms.